We live in a world wondering how to behave and express itself in the most intimate of human experiences. But God has not left us to drift aimlessly in a sea of confusion. He has thrown out the tow line that draws us into satisfaction in Him. This is Hearing is Believing. How do you heal a world turned upside down? And I'm guessing that the upside down that they were referring to is because of the coronavirus. I'm guessing that that's what they're talking about, but I think that uh, it can refer to so much more, a world turned upside down. But the more and more I've thought about that, especially as it relates to our passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and join me over there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But the more I thought about that question, the more I began to realize the morality of our nation the morality of our world is turned upside down. You and I right now, we are in the midst, whether or not we know it or not, we are in the midst of a moral revolution. Now that is a packed phrase, we need to unpack it. First, what is morality and then what is a moral revolution? Well, Webster defines morality as this, beliefs about what is right behavior and what is wrong behavior. What is morality? It's belief about what is right behavior and what is wrong behavior. So morality then is that mechanism that helps guide our decision about things as well as our acceptance of things. For example, my mother, she taught me, Andy, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go that girls with do. That was my mother teaching me morality. So that's morality. Then what is a moral revolution? A moral revolution, listen, is a complete transformation of society. A complete transformation of society. Now history has seen many moral revolutions, but the most recent that we are undergoing is a sexual revolution, is a sexual revolution. Theo Hobson, he's a British Anglican, a liberal thinker, he says that for a moral revolution to take place, there must be three conditions that have to be met. For a moral revolution to take place, three conditions have to be met. Number one, that which was repudiated must be celebrated. Number two, that which was celebrated must be repudiated. And then thirdly, those who once repudiated that which is now celebrated must be themselves repudiated. Let me say those again. That which was repudiated must be celebrated. That which was celebrated must be repudiated. And those who once repudiated that which is now celebrated must themselves be repudiated. So, moral revolutions are necessary. Christians have led the way in in many moral revolutions. Consider William Wilberforce and his insistence that slavery was immoral. We would hope that he would lead a moral revolution. Consider Susan B. Anthony, who said that women ought to have the right to vote. Consider Martin Luther King, Jr., who bought or who brought the immorality of racism to our nation's attention. Those were good moral revolution. We know so, and the reason we know so is because each one of them turns a society towards biblical truth. But what happens when a revolution moves us away from the foundation of morality laid by Scripture? What happens when that morality turns in the way that's not friendly towards 
believers in Jesus. What's our response when a sweeping moral move comes that puts Christian confession in its crosshairs? And if you don't believe that that's happening in our society, just watch the news and see. Watch and see that though that which was repudiated is now being celebrated, and that which was celebrated is now being repudiated. But it gets even beyond that. Those who once repudiated that which is now celebrated are themselves repudiated and silenced. So we turn our attention today towards the Bible's teachings on morality, and specifically sexual morality or sexual ethics. Christian teaching on sex and morality was not popular when, the first, when it first came to a society. And still to this day, what the Bible says about sex is not popular. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, there is a toleration for everybody who conforms to the fashions of the day, but there is no toleration for anyone who believes that the laws of heaven should regulate life on earth. There is toleration for everyone who conforms to the fashions of the day, but there is no toleration for anyone who believes that the laws of heaven should regulate life on earth. You see, you and I need to confess something, and we need to be ardent about our confession, and that is that this good news of God's salvation in Christ, that news is revolutionary. The Sermon on the Mount is intended to show us that Christ has come to take the world and turn it upside down. Turn it upside down. And in that, listen, in that turning upside down, healing comes through him turning it upside down. What does he say, for example, on the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And then he puts a positive. He takes a negative thing that society sees and puts a positive on it and shows us the kind of revolution that Jesus is bringing. And so the good news of God's salvation in Christ is revolutionary. We don't need to be silent about that. It's good news because it's saving news. And it conforms to reality. You say, what do you mean reality? I mean, it conforms to the Bible. It conforms to the true story of the whole world. And so there is an urgent need for our discussion that we're going to have today about sexual morality and sexual ethics. Because you and I, we are in the midst of a world wondering how to behave wondering how to express itself in the most intimate of human expressions. And of course, that most intimate of human expressions is sex. And thankfully, the Bible's not left us adrift in a sea of relativism. Instead, the Bible anchors our morality and does so by using two words two words, purity and holiness, purity and holiness. Let's read the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll look at the first eight verses. Hear the word of our Lord. Finally then, brethren, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, 
your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Father, for the Word of God that comes to us, not cold, dry, or stale, but speaking into a moment in our society that is so lost, speaking into our moment in our church where no doubt immorality is amongst us. And Father, today we need the conviction of the Spirit and the grace of the Spirit to carry us through. Help us. Amen. Psalm 24 poses a question. Psalm 24 poses a question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and does not lift his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Purity and holiness. Purity and holiness. And those are the twin themes that our text in 1 Thessalonians brings to us this morning, purity and holiness. And what a message for the world. Remember, as Christians, we confess something in particular. We confess that we have a word from God. And so as those who have a word from God, what is our word? Purity and holiness a message that turns the world upside down, a message that focuses on pleasing God. And what pleases God is laid out for us in the text in the two terms in verse 7. God has not called us to immor… He has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. He's not called us to impurity, but in holiness, purity and holiness. Three truths today about God's call to purity and holiness. Number one, purity and holiness is the way we walk with God. Purity and holiness is the way we walk with God. And so look at how, the, uh, how Paul begins. He begins like a good Baptist preacher. He says, finally, and then he goes on for two more chapters, praise the Lord. So his, it's really not finally. If you have an NIV there, I think that it translates that word a little better than my English Standard Version. It says uh, something to the fact, and then. And so that's really what Paul is talking about here. He's making his next point. But really his next point, after talking about brotherly love and the Christian community, it's interesting that the first thing that he marks is immorality, and more specifically, positively, the first thing that he brings to the church's attention is sexual purity. But look at the way the Bible's laid out in verse 1. There is an urgency in Paul's request, and that urgency means that we need to capture that urgency clearly today. We have learned time and time again that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not free from the scandals that rock the world. 
Our divorce rate is just as high as anyone else's. Immorality amongst church members is alarming. We're becoming inoculated, I'm afraid, inoculated to the latest who's cheating who story. Or the breaking of the news we hear, unfortunately, of another minister who's broken his oath and turned out to be a scoundrel. We must recapture this urgency and not be lulled into a passive sleep. Instead, there is an urgency to fight for the gospel, to stand for truth, to fight for your husband, for your wife, for your children, and as we're going to see later, to fight for somebody else by abstaining, abstaining from sexual immorality. If there is a root in your heart of sexual immorality, cut it off. Paul says, abstain from it. He would tell Timothy, flee from it. Don't stand there and think that you're going to be able to fight it. Get away. It will destroy you. It will eat you alive from the inside out. and You won't even realize the damage that's been done until it's done. In the world of Paul, some people say, well, you know, this was Paul. They had so much immorality. It's worse than we are today. No, no. The world of Paul was not much different than our own. Immorality was rampant. It was on prominent display in Thessalonica, just like our day. Just don't think that it's, don't think that it's, 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 uh, it's just different. It's the same. It's just different. Though today, for example, we don't have to travel to see immorality on display. We just simply have to take our phones out of our pocket. That's how close it is to us. And N.T. Wright, he captures the mood of our hyper-sexualized world. He says this, in our present culture, sexual activity has become almost completely detached from the whole business of building up communities and relationships and has degenerated simply into a way of asserting one's right to choose one's own pleasure in one's own way. And then the professor puts it this way, to put it starkly, instead of being a sacrament, sex has become a toy. And in a world where sex is second-guessed, Paul centers our sexual ethic. And he does so. Look how he does it. He does so with urgency and puts it in a tone. And this is the tone, the positive tone of pleasing and walking with God. You see, this is the foundation of ethics, what we do. And that's what we mean when we say ethics. Ethics is what we do. The foundation of our ethic is pleasing God. God has been pleased to save us. And because He has saved us, listen, don't miss this. Because He has saved us, He has enabled us to have the power, according to His Spirit, to walk in order to please Him. Now, please understand that. It's not Jesus loved you, the least you can do is live for Him. No, 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 you're missing the point. It's not Jesus loves you, the least you can do is live for Him. That's not the point. God has radically moved heaven and earth to give you the ability, according to the Spirit's power, to live for Him. Now do it. Now do it. 
because you realize his love. It's not, no, you're trying to pay God back. No, no, no. It's not any of that stuff. It's you have the capacity now. Know, Christian, who you are. You don't have to obey the lust of your body. You don't have to do this. This is what Paul says to the Romans. You don't have to do these things anymore. Why not? Because Christ has made you free. And whom the Son sets free is free. What? Indeed. Indeed. God wants to have fellowship with you. He's concerned with our sexual ethics because sex is our most intimate expression. Sex concerns desire. And from this passage, we get to see God's desire for us. And it's a desire that we've seen since the very opening pages of Scripture. Listen, I I can't get over this. God desires our walking with Him, and He wants to walk with us. Amazing. God wants to walk with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to walk with you. We don't walk with Him on our terms. We walk with Him on His terms. And of all the things in the world that Paul could have dealt with first, of all the things that he could have dealt with, he deals, and you can search other letters, he deals with other things first, but here he deals with sexuality first. He does so to demonstrate desire. God's desire is for us to desire Him above all things. And let me tell you where that's going to be tested. It's going to be tested with your sexual ethics. That's where it's going to be tested. John Piper infamously said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Now, let me tell you something about sex. Sex brings with it the allure of satisfaction. But God desires to center our sexuality. And the way that He does it, don't miss this, is by telling us first to abstain from it. Not to, listen, I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Catholic priest, okay? Not to abstain from sex. That's not what I'm saying. But to abstain from sexual immorality. Do you understand? He tells us first to center our sexual ethic by telling us what not to do. Abstain from sexual immorality. So, notice the context. Look at this. Just for example, check out chapter 3 and verse 11. What did Paul just pray in chapter 3 and verse 11? And I have this word both highlighted and underlined in my Bible. Paul prayed that God Himself, His personal presence, would grant His request. Look at chapter 3, verse 11. So that He Himself may establish your hearts. And then look at this next phrase, blameless in holiness before our God and Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. God Himself, you know what that speaks of? It speaks of intimacy. Blameless and holiness, you know what that speaks of? That speaks of the way that we achieve intimacy with God, or it demonstrates the way that we walk with Him. 
And the text walks along. Listen to it. Listen to the way that the text just sort of has a certain pace about it. It says, as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. That refers to the past. Just as you are doing in the present, that you do so more and more. So past, present, future. Past, present, future. God is telling us what it means to walk with Him. And He's saying that He wants us to continue on this road walking with Him. Not to deviate into our deviancy, but to walk with Him. In walking with Him, we see not only where we are, we see where we've been, but we also see where we're going. And if you get off track, you'll miss it. And the first message that Paul has for this church to make sure that they're not getting off track is to abstain from sexual immorality. Notice this. Our sexual ethic is not simply grounded in walking with God. Our sexual ethic is grounded in walking and pleasing God. And remember this. There is something so much grander, so much grander than self-satisfaction that we're to pursue in this life. Pursue what will bring everlasting satisfaction, not momentary satisfaction, but everlasting satisfaction. I'll say it this way, only God can thrill your soul. Augustine, he said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. So many in our society are trying to fill that void when they're trying to find satisfactions for their souls, and they'll never find it. You'll never find it in sexual immorality. No matter the allure, you'll never be able to find it there. But God can satisfy your soul, and He does so not just for a moment. He does so for forever. Now, what are we talking about today? We're talking about purity and holiness. Purity and holiness, number one, is the way that we walk with God, and number two comes from knowing God. Look at the text. Look at verse 4, for example. Verse 4 and 5, it says that, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor Here's the negative. What does that mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. Not in the passions of lust, like these individuals, the Gentiles. And what's the important part that we need to learn about the Gentiles? They're the ones that are blanketed as those who don't know God. So we know God. And what do we know about God? Well, we know that God has a will. And what does that mean? It means that as a God with a will, it means that He has a desire. What is God's desire? You. And your sanctification. God, I wish that I could capture this and let you hear it every day. God desires you. And He desires you to desire Him. God has a will. He has a will. 
That means that he has a desire. And what is his desire? His desire is you. And what does he want about you or for you? He wants something that will truly satisfy you. And that's called sanctification. Well, that's a high dollar word, isn't it? It's about this long, in, in, even in Greek. Sanctification. Sanctification, what's it mean? It means made holy. Made holy. Jesus prayed for this. His high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made just as God is. And what is God or who is God? He's holy. Holy means set apart. God wants to set us apart so that He can use us for His good pleasure, so that He can walk with us, so that He can talk with us, so that He can make us His very own. What does it mean then for this? We get, we get to remind the world about Jesus and to demonstrate as those who bear His name. We get to demonstrate that we are His. We belong to Him. He is making us holy. In other words, there is a family resemblance. There is a resemblance that is not in so much how we look, but it's in who we are. And who we are is because of whose we are. We belong to God, and His desire is for us to become just as He is. Holy. We become holy the more we know Him. We get to know Him the more we walk with Him. You see, we are weak, but He is strong. Our prayer is that Jesus would keep us from all wrong. We learn satisfaction as long as we walk. Let us walk close to Thee. You see, He is holy, and because He's holy, He's an avenger. There is a God who sees. There is a God who knows. And there is a God unto whom all people must give an account. Everyone will give an account for wrongdoing. God is the avenger, and the reason that He is the avenger is because of His holiness. So, made my mind ask a question, why does the Bible put immorality in the same terms with, a, with, with an avenger, with vengeance? Why does the Bible put immorality on the same term with vengeance? What does avenging have to do with sexual immorality? And here's the lesson I believe that we're to learn. Notice, notice the text. Verse 6, look at what it says that no one transgress and wrong his brother. And then here's the kicker, in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger, look at this, in all these things. He's getting specific. What's the this? What's the these? It's sexual immorality. Immorality. Here's what I think we're supposed to learn by putting it in terms of an avenger and brother. Learn this. Immorality is never a solitary act. It's never a solitary act. 
And by the way, that word there, immorality, is the word pornea. It's where we get our word pornography or pornographic. And some, they think that Paul must be talking about wronging a brother, and he's talking about reference of adultery, but he doesn't use the term adultery. Now, adultery is immorality, but I believe that the term that he uses here is more inclusive. And the reason that he's saying and putting it in this terms is to teach us that there is no solitary sexual act. If I can be crass for just a moment, it takes more than two to tango. There is always some other party involved, a father, a mother, a brother, a spouse, a child, someone. There is always collateral damage with immorality, and there's always another party involved in immorality, a holy God whose ways have been transgressed. And as Johnny Cash reminds us, sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. As Jesus said, what is done in the darkness will be brought to light. You've had this secret that you've been carrying for years and years and years. God sees and He knows. Because He's an avenger, because He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. What is done in the dark will be brought to the light. It is a fearful thing, Hebrews says, to fall into the hands of the living God. And when this is brought to light, brokenness is always the result. Brokenness is always the result. For everyone that has been broken, there is a promise of amending. The mending means bending for all parties offending. And the cure for the mending, from the bending, is to stay away from breaking innocence and causing harm. As Proverbs says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And as Proverbs says again a little later in chapter 5, your ways are before the Lord. And He's the one who ponders all of your paths. Purity and holiness. Number three, keeps our conscience clear. Purity and holiness keeps our conscience clear. You see, there's no reason to hide when you pay attention to God's ways. Sexual immorality, I can't say this enough, and I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because I need to hear it. Sexual immorality is a road of shame. It's a road of regret. It's, not, it's better to not ever set foot on that path. Get rid of your phone if you have to. Turn off the TV. If you have to walk away from that job, do whatever you have 
to do, do whatever it takes to have a clear conscience and to be able to say what the end of this verse is say, I am paying attention to God and His ways. Do what it takes before it's too late because sooner or later God's going to say, He said, because His Word is true, your sins will always find you out. You're reaping what you're sowing. Stop. Come to Jesus. He will forgive what has been broken, or He will break you. He's serious about this. He is an avenger, and He will not let it go unpunished. Look at verse 6, right before verse 7. We told you beforehand and solemnly warned you That's what the preacher is trying to do this morning. He's trying to solemnly warn you. And the way that I'm solemnly warning you is by telling you that there is nothing sweeter than walking with God. There is nothing sweeter than living a life that is pleasing to God. Listen to me carefully. Jesus is coming. What is done in the dark will be brought to light. And the question for you this morning is, will you stand at His coming, or will you shrink back? You say, how can I know if I'll be all right when He comes? And there's really only one word that I can give you. How will you know if you're okay? Jesus. You see, He knows your secrets. He knows your brokenness, and He loves you, and He's here to rescue you. You may think that I've gone too far. I've done too much. Corey Ten Boom used to say, there's no pit so deep that His grace is not deeper still. You've not reached the depths of His grace. You've not gone far enough for God to reach down and pull you up. He came on a rescue mission. He loves you, but you have to come to Him. Don't wallow anymore in letting your conscience be seared into thinking that you're not going to get caught or no one's ever going to find out. Jesus is there calling for you, extending a hand to you, and the hand is salvation. God's will for you is sanctification to be made like Jesus. And my challenge for you is simply this. Surrender to His will and be made whole today. Father in heaven, what a message, a difficult message to proclaim, but a message that we need because there is immorality in our church. Seventy percent of us in the room have an addiction to pornography, at least. That's a ton.
And we need a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord. Not in the dread of condemnation, but because our desire is to walk with Jesus. Father, there's an expectation of great joy for those who are walking with you. But for those who don't walk with you, we don't have any expectations of joy. We have an expectation of dread because we've been hiding. We've been hiding this, hoping no one will see, but Lord, you see. Father, there's some repentance that needs to go on today. And it's my prayer that everyone in the room would get right with Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for receiving us as we are. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.